Corey Drebush covers what is often one of the biggest milestones in a startup's life, going public. In an initial public offering, or IPO, a company's shares get listed on the stock market for the first time. It's a make-or-break moment, because that share price can pop, creating buzz and investor excitement. Or the share price can sink, turning the IPO into a very public embarrassment. Back in March, when the pandemic sent markets plummeting, Corey thought most companies wouldn't take that risky leap. You must have thought, this is the end of the IPO market for 2020. Yes, at least for the next six months, I I figured, okay, we have some time off. We're not going to see anyone who dares to test this market. But fast forward six months, and Corey's been busy covering what could be the biggest IPO market since the dot-com bubble. Companies have already raised more than $90 billion in IPOs this year. That puts 2020 on track to be the biggest year ever. I've been following the IPO markets for going on seven years now and seen a lot of ups and downs, but I don't think I've ever seen it go from zero to a hundred quite so fast before. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, September 23rd. Coming up on the show, the forces behind this year's unexpected boom in IPOs. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Of all the companies that have gone public recently, one that really captures the current IPO frenzy is Snowflake. Snowflake is a cloud data management company based in California. Outside of the tech world, it wasn't a big name. Until last week. The IPO market got a huge pop this week as the cloud-based management company Snowflake had the largest software IPO ever. A blizzard hitting Wall Street. Snowflake shares more than doubled. I don't know that I've ever seen higher expectations for a newly public company. Biggest a company IPO most people had never heard of had just pulled off the biggest tech IPO of the year. Back in March, this kind of big, splashy IPO seemed practically impossible. The stock market was in free fall. But then the Federal Reserve made two big moves that would bring the stock market and IPOs roaring back. The Fed stepped in to help buoy struggling companies by buying up tons of corporate debt. That provided for investors the optics of, we're going to have a backstop. We're not going to let things fail. Don't worry. And that led to many investors feeling a little bit more confident. The Fed also lowered interest rates to near zero. 
That made it really hard to make money on traditionally safe investments like bonds and made the stock market one of the few places to make a significant return. Those actions by the Fed helped lure investors back into the stock market and led companies to start thinking about going public again. The IPO market follows the stock market. It's a big beast that all moves together. So if the market is moving higher, that always seems like, hey, we should get in on that. We should list our shares now as things are going in a good direction. Later in the spring, some companies started testing the waters. Warner Music Group and Zoom Info Technologies went public in early June. And how did those IPOs go? Surprisingly, really well. And that's when it felt like, okay, we could be on the brink of something. It's a busy few days for some of the newest stocks on Wall Street. We just started seeing a takeoff, almost like a rocket ship taking off. Every week, more and more filings for additional IPOs. Yesterday, no less than six software startups filed for public listings. We've seen these IPOs uh, really start re-entering the market. This is just... And so, by the time Snowflake's IPO rolled out last week, investors were primed. Snowflake wasn't a household name, but it was growing fast. And as a tech company, it seemed fairly COVID-proof. And Snowflake had something else going for it. A big-name investor had already signed on to buy a bunch of shares. Warren Buffett. Snowflake listed Berkshire Hathaway as pledging to buy $250 million worth of shares and an additional chunk of stock in the IPO. And that's really surprising. Anyone who knows Warren Buffett knows he doesn't usually invest in technology companies or new technology companies that are fast growing. So it took folks by surprise and it just added to this sort of excitement around Snowflake. There was so much excitement that Snowflake raised its price range, eventually setting its IPO price at $120 a share. And many investors were telling Corey they thought it could go even higher. One investor, a potential investor, had told me, I think it'll go to $200 a share. I remember laughing at that, saying $200 a share. Okay, you're very optimistic. Then, on the day Snowflake went public, its shares rose to over $300 for some time and closed the day just above $250. How does the story of Snowflake illustrate the dynamics of what's going on in the IPO market right now? It really well illustrates this insatiable demand by investors for IPOs. You want a way to tap into something that's growing. It really comes back to this low growth environment we're in. The Fed has said that they're keeping interest rates near zero for years. And Snowflake is representative of a company that is able to provide growth. And it also shows just how much money is out there that is chasing these companies that there's almost a scarcity of companies going public. Snowflake pulled off the biggest tech IPO so far this year because it went public at a time when investors' demand for IPOs was high. And it had something to offer those investors. It had a product, revenues, customers. But there are only so many Snowflakes out there. And so some investors have started piling into a different kind of company, 
One with no product, no revenue, no customers. Coming up, the shell companies that are helping power the IPO boom. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. There's no better feeling than finishing work for the day, sipping an ice-cold soda and nuzzling down into a Citizen M bed. Recharge your brain and batteries at Citizen M Hotels. They're in the tech cities, Menlo Park, Miami, Austin, New York, San Francisco, where people like you work, sleep, and play. Book now at citizenm.com slash the journal. Investors are hungrier than ever for IPOs, but there are only so many companies out there that want to go public right now. So some people have swooped in to offer another solution, a different kind of company to invest in, something a little bit riskier. One of those people is Vivek Ranadive. He's been known in the tech world for decades. In 1999, so the height of the tech boom, He brought his company, Tibco Software, public, and he then sold Tibco to a private equity firm in 2014. But he's remained very well known in the tech investing world and also the sports world. He's co-owner of the Sacramento Kings. Earlier this year, before the pandemic, Rana Dive was at the NBA All-Star Game, and he heard an idea. In February, he attended the All-Star Game, and he ran into some investors who told him that, hey, you should, have you heard of these blank check companies? You should really try your hand at them. Blank check companies. So blank check companies have been around for a while, but for many years were not taken at all seriously. Here's how they work. Somebody, like an investor, starts a shell company. Then that company goes public, raising a bunch of money without creating any kind of product or killer app or revolutionary business model. Instead, what a blank check company is selling to investors is a promise. Give me your millions and I will go out and find a private company, buy a stake in that company or acquire it and replace my spot on the stock market with this other company instead. Investors are buying into that promise. It's just like, we trust you, the founder of this blank check company, that you're going to take this money and find a good company to buy with it. So, like, if I have Kate Limebaugh LLC listed on the NASDAQ, and then I go out and buy a company, say, like, RyanKnutson.com, they get my ticker spot on the NASDAQ. Yes, and they can change the ticker to whatever they want, but those become their shares. 
Some blank check companies have been successful, acquiring big-name businesses like Virgin Galactic and DraftKings. But there's a lot of risk involved. Blank check company founders have two years to find a target company to acquire. And for investors, a lot can go wrong in that time. You buy into this company and you're really putting your faith in one person and they could never find a target or the share price could go down. People might decide, oh, we don't have faith in this founder anymore. We're selling. So you could lose money that way. Or the founder could find a target and you might decide this is a terrible target and then you're embroiled in that mess. So it's not a guarantee. As a veteran in the startup world, Rana Dive had heard of these blank check companies. And when those investors at the NBA All-Star Game told him he should start one, he was skeptical. All he knew was that 20 years ago, they were a pretty sleazy thing, um, in his words. Just kind of getting back to how they didn't have that much legitimacy in the investing world. But then the IPO market heated up. And Rana Dive saw all the investors out there hungry to get in on IPOs. He looked around at the world and the money supply and decided, you know what, this seems like a perfect time to launch a blank check company of his own. And so he did. Rana Dive founded Boex Acquisition Corp and set out to find investors willing to bet on his reputation and business track record. So he has no experience with blank check companies until now. I mean, obviously, he is a longtime investor, but he was able to go out and just using kind of name recognition and his resume, he was able to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for a blank check company. Rana Dive ended up raising $480 million. A lot of others are doing the same thing. So far this year, about 100 blank check companies have gone public. That's about 40% of all IPOs. Typically, that percentage is in the single digits. It's pretty emblematic of how there's more demand for IPOs this year than there are companies able to go public quickly. So this is a way to sort of put your money in a company that represents a future IPO. And remember, we talked about just the crazy demand for IPOs that we're seeing. This is an extension of that. Are there perils to blank check companies representing so much of the IPO market? Yes. It all looks great now when you see deal announced after deal announced and see all this money raised. But the real test is going to be, are there actually 100 plus companies out there that need to go public? Who knows? So here we are in the middle of a recession. There are these traditional IPOs like Snowflake taking off and raising a ton of money. And then on the other side, there are these blank check companies that are also taking off. Are these the ingredients of a bubble? I mean, I would hate to call it a bubble, but we're in an uncertain time. And I think there's always the risk that stock prices could go down with any of these companies. They are being richly valued for what they say, like what their promised growth is, but that's never guaranteed. So I think that is the fear. How much of this is just enthusiasm and a reflection of a changing world? 
and how much of it is we're desperate for growth at any cost, that we are ignoring how much we're paying up for it, and that these companies will never be able to deliver on these promises. That's all for today, Wednesday, September 23rd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.